Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. And would you please open up your Bibles to John chapter 4. And we're going to read a part of that old, old story about the message of salvation of Jesus to the lady we know as the woman at the well, a Samaritan woman. So John chapter 4, and I'll be reading this morning verses 1 down to verse 42. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, Though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews." But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. 
Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city, and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, Lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, For we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. We have been considering the, the book of John, or the gospel according to John, now for a couple months, and we've seen that the overriding theme of it, purpose of it, is to show that Jesus is the Son of God, who became the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, and that is to undergird, if you would, the unity of the church, which we'll look at more when we get to Jesus' high priestly prayer for his disciples in John 17. But again, the idea for us to remember is that the deity of Christ was already being attacked even while the Apostle John was still alive on the earth. Does it surprise us that the deity of Christ would be being attacked even in our day today? It's been being attacked from from the get-go. And so um, we saw then in the last couple messages uh, John describing who Jesus is. He refers to him as the Word of God, um, who was God, who was the creator, who became flesh, that he was Messiah of God, he was the Son of God, he was the Lamb of God, that he was omniscient, remember, because he knew all things about Nathaniel and stuff, that he is the way to God, he was that ladder by which that we could enter into heaven. He displayed creative power over nature when he turned the water into wine. He claimed ownership of the temple when he um, went in and he cast all the, uh, the people out. And then he claimed power over death when he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. Over the past two weeks, we saw in John chapter 3, 
where Jesus met with um, Nicodemus that night and revealed that belief in himself, belief in Christ, in Jesus, that he is who he is, is the fulcrum of um, salvation. And so that just as the, the serpent was held up in the wilderness, and so people, in order for them to be healed from the, the, the poison of the snakes um, back in the wilderness, they had a, if they were, they were bit, they had to actually go into the middle of the, the camp, look upon that bronze serpent that was put upon the, the, the pool, and then they would be healed. So in the same way, Jesus said, in that same manner, so you need to believe in him. You just can't believe intellectually that you actually need to believe in him um, intimately. And then we saw then in last week the discussion of going to John the Baptist and John's um, humility, what he describes about this Messiah, this Jesus who was going to come. And we saw that Jesus, the Christ, is the, is the gifter. He's the one who gives us the abilities and gifts that we have. We saw that he is the king. And John said he was just the, the herald. He was just the one proclaiming for the king to come. Christ is considered the bridegroom. The bride is... The church, us, okay? Um, John, again, wasn't either one. Christ then was above all things. That he, he who came from above was above all things. And then ultimately, he was the key to everlasting life. Now, if indeed um, Jesus is the Christ, if he is God in the flesh, then we would expect that he would have the same desires, the same will as the Father. And we see that being portrayed in our passage today, because he said he came to do the Father's will. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, and we're going to see this passage a couple times, or I'll allude to it a couple times within this, the, the, the topic today, the, the, the talking today. And that is, it says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our, who? Our Savior. So who's the Savior? God. Who's the Savior? Jesus, right? I mean, you read the book of Titus, and we're, um, Paul writing to Titus says, God our Savior, then he says, Jesus Christ our Savior, God our Savior, Jesus Christ our Savior, God our Savior, Jesus Christ our Savior. And so Paul understands exactly who Jesus Christ is, but this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, how many? All men, not women, just men, just joking. Actually, this is anthropos, this is talking about all people here. Okay, later on in 1 Timothy 2, he does talk about andros, talking about men lifting up holy hands. But this one is the... Anthropos, meaning generically, he desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Based upon this, now I mean, I understand we understand 1 Corinthians 15 about the gospel, you know, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. But according to this passage, what do you need to know in order to be saved? Truth. Remember when we talked about Nicodemus coming at night? Ultimately, what was Nicodemus searching for? Truth. He just wanted the truth. There was all the buzz everywhere, but he just wanted to know the truth. And this is exactly, in my mind, if I have to sum up today's message in one verse, this is my verse. Because this is exactly what we're going to see Jesus portraying in this conversation now that he has, not with Nicodemus, but with the woman at the well, and in the conversation that he has with his disciples. In this whole passage, it's all about Christ's desire to see people saved. And so I ask you right off the bat, if you had to sum up 
the passion of your life with one thing. What is the ultimate passion of your life? Is it to glorify God or see souls saved? Because I think that's one and the same. I think to see souls saved, to see people come to know Christ as their Savior, is the ultimate way that we glorify God. Do you have a desire, a passion, to see souls saved? And so, um, that's not a guilt trip. It's just for us to be challenged by. Because if we say that we're going to be followers of Christ, then we ought to walk the way he walked. We've got to think the way he thinks. His desires ought to be our desires. So Psalm 37 verse 4 says, If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. You want biblical name it, claim it? 1 John 5 says, if you ask anything according to his will, according to his desire, then he will give it. And we so it says, literally it says, if you ask anything according to his will, then you know that he hears you. And if you know that he hears you, you know that you will receive that which you have asked. You can check me out on it. That's what it says. Biblical name and claim it. It's not about money. It's not about health. It's all about souls. God desires, thelo, thelema, God desires, wills for all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. We'll come back to that later on. So, I want to talk about this then in the, the three subject areas that Jesus actually talks about or that we see in this passage. First of all, we have the fountain of life. Secondly, we're going to be talking about true worship. Thirdly, real quickly, again, we're going to be talking about the harvest of souls. So, there's a whole lot of information here, and I don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm going to be the FedEx guy, you know, that, that commercial, blah, 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 you know, so... Um, so hopefully I, sp I speak fast enough that if someone listens to me on YouTube, they're not putting me on 1.5 because I'm already at 1.5, okay? So the f in this fountain of life, as I look at it, I see, first of all, the scope and then the source, okay? The, in the scope, the scope, when we talk about the scope, we talk about how far does it go. Jesus then, as we come into this thing, we're told that Jesus comes into Sichar, okay? He's on his way. To, um, to Galilee. He's passing through the areas of the, the area of the Samaritans, okay? Now, you all know this from hindsight, 2020, okay? You all heard about the, 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 the um, Good Samaritan parable, right? And you know that the Jews didn't like the Samaritans, and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. So this wasn't the place for this Jewish Messiah, this Jewish rabbi, to just kind of go hang out. And think about it. He goes and he sits by the well, and what does he do? Where does the rest of his, his henchmen go? His protectors, his, his, his disciples and apostles. They went into town. They left him alone. Now think about it. That makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? If you knew you were in enemy territory, would you want to be sitting there all by yourself? But Jesus goes into the worst part of town, if you would. Make sense? He goes to that part of the country that nobody wants to go, and he tells the guys, go get some food. I'm good. He had an appointment. You get it? He had an appointment, and he didn't want to be bothered. He didn't want to be disturbed. So the guys go off. They get some food. Enter stage left, the Samaritan woman, right? She just happens to come to the well at this moment. Isn't this kind of cool? Okay? She just happens, providence, happens to come at this moment to the well, and Jesus says to her, it's, this is, you want to learn icebreakers, good, good ways to start evangelism? Hey, can you give me a glass of water? <laughs> hey, can you give me a drink? 
Now, this is huge. Because, again, put yourself in that part of town. Whatever part of town it is for you, I'm not even there. Whatever city it is for you, whatever part of the country it is for you that you don't want to go to, that most of the people like you don't want to go to, and you go there and plop yourself down right in the middle of it. And then that person that you're not supposed to like and that's not supposed to like you comes and you say to them, hey, can I get less water? That's a good icebreaker, huh? She gives him the natural response. There's nothing wrong with the, the Samaritan woman's response. What does she say to him? How is it you, a Jew, are asking me for a drink? You shouldn't want anything from me. You shouldn't even want to touch anything that I touch. She didn't say all that, but that's what's all there. I mean, you shouldn't even be giving me the time of day. In fact, why are you even sitting at this well? I mean, she didn't say that, but that's, you know, you kind of almost picture all this is going on. The fountain of life is unbounded by hate. You could put whatever word you want to put in there. Discrimination, prejudice, but ultimately when it all boils down, it's what? It's hate. It's hate. The greatest commandment is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and all my mind. The second like unto it is to love my neighbor as myself. If I really love God, then I'm going to love what God loves. goes all the way back to that First Timothy 2 kind of concept, right? So if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to have the desires that he has, right? I'm going to love the things that he loves. Tell me what God loves. For God so loved the... Hmm... Do you think he really means that? How much does he love the world? How much? He died. He loved that much, didn't he? He didn't just die, he came. He came. He didn't have to come, but he came in order that he might live on this earth, in order that he might suffer, in order that he might have the tribulations, the trials, the persecutions, and everything that you and I have, in order that he might be crucified. He willingly offered himself to be crucified on the cross for me. I'll let him die for you too. But you get what I'm saying? But even if I, I believe it, if I was the only guy on the earth, he would have done that for me because he loves. Amen. Thank you, Trinity. He loves his people. How many are his people? Everyone. He's, well, not just everyone who worships him, but think about this. He's the creator. How many people did God breathe the breath of life into? All. Do you get it? We, we, we kind of we segmentize people. But look what it, Jesus says. Um, it says, when they came and they come to him, this is what Jesus is known for. When the Pharisees and stuff, they come to him, they said to him, teacher, we know, we know, this is what we know about you. Wouldn't you love this testimony? We know that you are true and care about no one for you do not regard the person of men, but teach the way of God in truth. That you are not a respecter of persons. Now, that can be in a negative sense or a positive sense. Now, some of the passages that I gave you um, on your sermon note sheet, we're not going to go all of them, are from the negative sense, if you would, from the judgment day. Okay, Romans chapter 2, verse 11, there is no partiality with God. Now, that's not necessarily a positive one. That actually is in the in in concept of judging. Okay, that you don't get a special buy 
um, in judgment because you're a Jew, is basically what he's saying. You're going to get judged the same way as a Gentile is going to get judged. That God's not a respecter of a person. There's no partiality with God. He's going to judge one the same as the other. We're all going to stand before the throne, and, and we're going to be accounted for with our works. How many of you are going to go to heaven because of your works, because you're good enough? Are you going to go because you're good enough? No, you will not go before your goodness. There is no one who is good enough to go to heaven. All it takes is one sin to condemn you to hell. Everybody is condemned to hell. The only thing that gets you to heaven is through the Lamb's Book of Life, is by believing that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. Okay? And I think you know that, Trinity. Okay? And so, so the whole point there is that we all come before the throne on a flat ground, and we're all going to be condemned on the same flat ground. Do you get that? You will be condemned. You have been condemned. But this is the exciting part. Jesus what? He died for you, and he took away your condemnation. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How cool is that? I don't have to be in that condemnation anymore because of what Jesus did for me. But there's no partiality with God in judgment. But neither then is there partiality with God in salvation. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free. There's no male nor female, for all are one in Christ. I don't care if you're blue, if you're purple, if you're green, or if you're orange. Do you get it? I don't care if you're a millionaire or you're on, on poverty row. It ought not matter to us in the assembly. I am continually praying that we would become that hodgepodge, if you would, that Christ desires his church to be. That we will have some of every tribe and every nation and every tongue, if you would, from that concept. I mean, I know we can't do that necessarily on the earth, but I mean, I am so looking forward to Roman or Revelation chapter 4 and Revelation chapter 5. Did you guys ever hear the Chris Tomlin um, song, um, How Great Is Our God, but the world version of it? The world version of it. You've got to listen to the world version of it. It's got a couple different languages going on in it. Beautiful. Make me cry. First time I heard it, I started weeping. I started crying. I mean, because again, even that isn't even going to be close. But all of a sudden, and they, they had a bunch of people around the world sing the song. And then they took it and they brought it and they, they mastered it together and brought it on top. And it's Swahili and it's, um, I don't know if it's Russian or Ukrainian. I mean, I mean there's just all these, these different um, uh, languages in it. And it's just so beautiful. How great is our God? It's exactly what it's going to be. And you know what? If we really believe that, we got to be living it out right now. There ought not to be a drop of prejudice in the blood of anybody who claims to know Jesus. If you will not, if you refuse to go tell somebody about Jesus because of their skin color, because of their social standing, because of whatever behavioral thing you want to put on there, then you got a problem. It's a sin issue with you. Now, I get the fact 
that there is a concept of I've got to be understanding. But I remember years ago, Dick Corder, he's passed away. Do you remember Dick? Dick and June? And uh, were they still around when you guys? No, you weren't. But you guys have been long enough with me that you know that. No Dick and June. Dick was a blessable man. He's one of the, him and Tom Rucker. Do you guys remember the Ruckers? They might have, yeah, they were way, way back. Dick and Tom were two older men, older back then, okay? So they're both passed on by now. They would take me on Thursday nights and teach me how to pray. We just had a prayer meeting and just teach me, teach me, and they just open up and just give me nuggets of their, of their, they weren't pastors, you know, they just, they just taught me from themselves. It was beautiful. But Dick and I would go out on Tuesday nights on visitation. And man, I remember we went into the parts of town you weren't supposed to go. And I, I grew up in the city, okay? So you got to understand, I grew up in the city, and I'm, and, and again, I don't consider myself prejudiced, but I'm just going to say what I'm going to say, just so you understand this. I went to a predominantly black high school, okay? So, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't have that. I mean, I grew up in a city, in the city, okay? Um, some people say that, but they really grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in the city. And, um, but I understand, then, I don't necessarily like to go to the city or the different parts of the city because I, I, I grew up. I mean, I know there's, you know, parts of the city you kind of be careful where you're going to be walking, you know, especially you're not wearing your, your colors, you know, your high school colors or whatever when you go there. That may be foreign to some of you guys, but um, I'm just telling you, you, you walk, wear your colors in the wrong part of the city and you better be knowing how to defend yourself. And so I remember Dick and I would go into these different parts and one night we went into this one part and the, all the street lights were gone. They were totally out. I mean, we're talking about pitch black. And I don't know what kind of dogs were barking, but they was barking close. Bob, even though he grew up in the city, was thinking what? It's time to turn around and go back out. Dick said, brother, we got somebody greater than, than us right here with us. I loved it. We prayed. We prayed for protection. And then we got out there walking where I couldn't even see where we're walking because there are no lights, man, none. And we found the house that we were, we were looking for, and we went up, and anyways, it was a blessed time. Anyways, so, but my point is, I would have bailed, even though I believe that I'm not prejudiced. There's a point where I was ready to bail. I can do how many? All things. Through Christ who strengthens me. If you believe that you cannot open up a conversation with somebody, you're probably right. But you're probably not trusting in Christ at that moment. I'm an introvert. This isn't my, my joy. I love teaching. I love teaching. So I overcome, right? Going knocking on doors is not the fun for me. There are so many times I'm praying for a storm coming through, you know? <laughs> oh, it's raining, Lord. Can't go out. Sorry. In the last couple of weeks, Justin showed up. That meant that Steve and Justin went out, and I had to go by myself. It's a good reason to be out, right? Oh, I can't be going to those doors by myself. No. So I went and knocked on the door. Man, that is just the hardest thing. It's like, Lord, why did you do this to me? And because I got to go out, and I've got to what? I got to do it. And I got to talk to that woman at the well. And I got to just open my mouth up and trust that God's going to do what? Give me a word to say. Is there something that's holding you back 
from talking to the person that you need to talk to. Whether it's fear in yourself, that's not necessarily on the screen, or whether it's the prejudice that's there. The second thing, the scope, it's not bounded by time. Note this fountain is a fountain of what? Everlasting life. Okay? It is everlasting. It continues on and on and on. And I don't have time to go into all these, but when Jesus is, starts talking about this, he is actually using illustrations to show his own deity. Because it is God himself who is the, let me go through this one, is the source of that everlasting water. God is the source of that water. So in Psalm 36, we see how precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. You give them drink from the river of your pleasures, and with you is the fountain of life. Isaiah 12, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and do not be afraid, for Yah, Yahweh, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Therefore, with joy you shall draw from the wells of salvation. Jesus is, is, is telling a Samaritan woman, I am Yahweh in the flesh. Whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks from the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain, a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. So one of those verses I flew on through there was from Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the Man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree that is planted by the rivers of water, or rivers of life, if you would, the rivers of water, that it brings forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf shall never wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. His leaf shall never, what? Wither. Why? Because he's got a steady flow of water coming through him. Jesus said that if you would just drink of the water that he has to offer you, not trusting in physical sustenance, but understanding the spiritual sustenance, that you'll never thirst again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be, anybody remember? Filled, they shall be filled. Okay, we got to keep moving on. Okay, secondly, is this worship of God? Okay, so he begins then this this illustration because she says, "Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet." Okay, now we understand the foundation of true worship here, and I'm going to come back to what precipitated her stating that in just a moment. But he says to her, he says, um, "You worship, but you do not know. We worship what we." Do know, for salvation is what? Of the Jews. Now, I want you to think about that, okay? He's talking to the Samaritan woman, and ultimately, I believe, he's trying to lead her to salvation, okay? But what did he just tell her right now? Her whole system of belief is wrong. Is wrong. That sounds kind of um, um, intolerant, doesn't it? 
Do you get it? I mean, today, we wouldn't want to do that because we don't want to offend them. We want them to feel good about their self, a good self-image, a good self-understanding. No, Jesus was pretty direct. He's loving her. He shouldn't be talking to her at all. But she needs to know what? Truth. Do you get it? God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In her system of worship, though it was close, though it was close, was not true. Everybody know who the Samaritans are? Samaritans are, quote-unquote, if you would, and I don't mean this as a derogatory term, a half-breed, okay? They were, they were Gentile Jews, okay? So they, they, they were, um, many, many years ago in the Old Testament time, they were um, Piglath-Teliezer and uh, Shalmaneser, and then those were the Assyrian kings, and then you come into Babylonian times. They had um, a, a system where they would actually bring people from different parts of the countries that they had conquered, and they would uh, resettle them in other areas, okay? So that the, you would have this true, like, Americana here, this amalgamation, this bl blending together of, of nations. So the Samaritans weren't actually the Israelites that used to live there. They were brought in from other places, and they made a decision that since they were coming into this land, they needed to learn the gods of the land. And so, so um, I can't remember exactly which king it was, then gave them Jewish priests in order for them to learn the ways of the Jews. Okay? Now the problem is that the, the Jews were being punished by God. Why? Idolatry. Idolatry. Because they had already what? messed up the practice of worshiping God, right? And so he brings in these priests to teach these, now what we call Samaritans, but these Gentiles, how to worship Yahweh, okay? And so this became this, this wrongful amalgamation to, to worship Yahweh, okay? Does anybody remember what was already in Samaria when, when Samaria was destroyed? I mean, what, what did they have in Samaria to worship Yahweh? quote-unquote. No, not synagogue, not Samaria. The golden calves. They had one in Bethel and one in Samaria. That's exactly right. Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, had built those because he was afraid that people would go back to Jerusalem. So he, he set one up in Samaria and set one up in Bethel. And so that's what these people had. This is the kind of worship that they had, okay? So Jesus came and said, look, you don't know what you worship. You haven't got a clue. But we, the Jews, know what we worship because salvation is of the Jews. So you've got to get an understanding of that. Okay? The Old Covenant is not a bad thing. Again, the Old Covenant was given to us to lead us to Christ, to lead us to understand that we have a need for Jesus Christ. Okay? So the foundation of true worship is there, but the facets of true worship, first of all, is it's done in the Spirit. Now, i got a long passage here, and I want to go through it, um, but as we go through it, I want you to remember as well 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which talks about the resurrection, okay? And at the very end of the chapter, when it talks about, well, some would say, well, how does this happen? How does the resurrection from the dead happen? With what body will we get? And in, in the concepts of Paul talking about this mortal will put on, or yeah, mortal will put on immortality, this corruptible will put on corruption, he talks about this natural will become spiritual, 
Okay, And so you're going to see these words in here again. What I'm trying to draw out is that you, as a human, are three parts. You are body, you are soul, and you are spirit. But God desires for us to worship him in spirit and in truth. Not in flesh and in truth. Not in the psyche and in truth. But in the spirit and in truth. Okay? So... This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning of verse 12, okay, where, again, you don't necessarily see it in the English, but it's there in the Greek, and so I have words highlighted, and I have them defined over on the right-hand side so you can see it, okay? So, so Paul's saying, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things which have been freely given to us by God. These things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of Yahweh, that he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual ones, but as to carnal ones, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk, not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're not able to you're still not able, for you are still carnal ones. For where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal ones in behaving like mere men? And so you have three words being played out here, pneumatikos, sikikikos, and um, sarkikikos. The, the pneumatikos, your pneumos, is your spirit. Okay, that's a Greek word, but it's your spirit. So like pneumatic gun, okay, it's air. Okay, air, wind, spirit. Okay, the sikos, psyche, Psychology is your natural in your soul, okay? And then you have your sarcarkos, which is your flesh. Your soma is your body. Soma is your body. So we have psychosomatic illnesses, soma, okay? But your sarcos is the flesh. It's your fleshly desires. So all three of these are non-physical things. If we were talking about your soma, we'd be talking about physical body. But we're talking about the sarcos. So we're talking about the flesh. You get it? it that's not physical. It's kind of oriented. So your body <clears throat> is that which orients you to the earth. Your soul, your psyche, is that which orients you to other people. Your pneumos is that which orients you to, to God. You look out the windows, right? We don't have them all clogged up, right? And you see trees. Do they eat? Do they drink? Do they breathe? They do. Are they alive? They do. Do they communicate? No, they don't. I mean, I understand someone told me, well, that's whatever. They don't communicate like we don't, they don't have conversations like that, okay? Animals, do they eat, they drink, they breathe? They do. Do they communicate? They do. They have a social side of them. So uh, plants are body, animals are body and soul. But you never see trees seeking to worship God. Neither do you see animals getting together to worship God. But all over the earth, you see people getting together to worship God. Why? Because we are made in the image and likeness of God. And we're told in this passage that God is a what? Spirit. So we are made in a spirit. We have then a physical dimension, the body. We have a, um, a, a, a psychological dimension, the soulful dimension, social dimension, but then we also have a spiritual dimension. Now, in this passage, though, the, it's not the soma, the actual my body, like hitting my body that we're talking about, but actually we're talking about the fleshly desires, the things that appeal to my 
body. Are you tracking with me? I, I hope I'm not losing you, okay? But it's really important, okay? Because Jesus says, Jesus says that God desires to be worshipped in spirit, pneumatikos. He wants us to worship pneumos, pneumatically, if you would, in the spirit, not with our flesh. And I want to submit to you, this is a challenge that I, 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 I've had for many years, that most of Americana Christianity is worshiping with the sarcos and with the psyche and not with the pneumos. When we sing songs, we want to sing songs that appeal not to the pneumos, but we want to sing songs that appeal to our sarcos. I want it to feel good. I want to, to have this worship feeling. That's wrong, guys. Show me a passage in the Bible. I understand the Psalms talk about how important music is. But show me a passage in the Bible where it tells you that, that music is that which is going to bring you into the presence of God. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. God wants to be worshipped with understanding, is what we're told in the Psalms. Not with our flesh, not with our intellect. So if you look at this passage, we're told the natural man, the one who's been controlled by logic, and can be controlled by his brain, if you would, okay, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. If you are seeking to understand all there is to know about God with your own brain, you'll never get it. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which exist did not come from things which are visible. Do you know why the world believes in evolution? Because they're handling it with their brains, not with their spirit. We're told in Romans chapter 1, what may be known of God has been placed in us. And that even in his very creation, even his, his eternal Godhead is being revealed. But men suppress the truth. God desires to be worshipped in the spirit. Now this may be a foreign thought for you. Okay? But if you truly believe in Jesus Christ, I want you to, to really, I just want to challenge you with this, to go before God and ask him, is your worship predominantly spiritual or is it fleshly? Do you have your own standards or have you honestly gone to God for his standards of what worship really is? I'm not, gonna, I'm not challenging you on a type of music. I'm not challenging you on any type of Bible. I'm not challenging you on any of that. It's out there. It's just between you and God. Do you get it? But I promise you that because we're fleshly and the old man and the new man kind of battle, that a lot of what we do is to please ourselves and not to please God. He desires to be worshipped in spirit, but he also desires to be worshipped in truth. And so David says in Psalm 51, verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the what? The inward part, not just the outward, not just the outward thing, but you want it in me. You want truth, integrity. 
you want sincerity to be in me. In the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. John 8, Jesus said to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So again, the importance of truth in the worship of God is so important, okay? I don't want it to be about Bob's opinions. And I don't want it to be about somebody else's opinions. Again, I, I don't mean this prideful. I don't. I don't mean it this way. But I, again, challenge you. I, I do not go to commentaries to figure out or, or, to, or to sermon message files of other people to figure out what I'm going to preach. I don't want other men to be my teachers. I want the Holy Spirit. to. Jesus promised me. I mean, he promised you too. Now, when the Holy Spirit came, he would lead you into all truth. And he would remind you of the teachings of Jesus. And we just saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that it's only through the Holy Spirit that spiritual things will be, discern that be discerned and be given to you. Look, I don't want man to be my teacher. And that's why I always challenge you guys. You don't need me. Now, I get I got a part here in First Ephesians chapter 4 that the, the, the function that I play is only to help you, um, guide you to Jesus. It's really the, the, the idea. And so if it becomes my body, if it becomes Steve's body, if it becomes David's body, if it becomes Chuck's body, we're wrong. But this is the body of Christ. Okay? And not one person here should be a focal point, including Bob. Don't tell people that's Bob's church. People always ask, is that, oh, is that your church? And it's not my church. I am so emphatic. It's not my church. I could die today. I hope this is Jesus' church. And I hope you guys continue to function. But if this thing falls apart because Bob died, you guys were focusing on Bob, not Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay, it's a, there's a struggle for me there. It really is. This is a big deal for me. It's true worship. I want, my passion is to see the, the people of God to really return to him, not to the, the, the show, I think, that we've made it in this country. The harvest of soul. Jesus then goes on because he has this conversation with the woman, right? And she is just, oh, I, I, that part about truth, I, I was going to go back to it, so ignore this for a moment. Jesus began this whole conversation with her regarding truth. Think about it. I mean, again, how to make friends and influence people, right? You know, it tells her that, sorry, your whole system of faith is wrong because salvation is of the Jews. And then he turns around and says to her what? Go, go bring your husband. Now, that may be an innocent question, but not for Jesus. Because he what? He knows. But I think this is pretty cool. Because truth was in this woman. She started in truth. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said to her, well, that was true. Because you had five and the guy that you're with right now, he's not. She didn't get upset. She merely responds as what? Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> I don't know if I'd get that at the door. You know? I might get something else. Yeah, you want to meet the guy on what? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, she's ready. She's ready for this. She accepts the fact of where she's at. It's really cool stuff. But again, this is all a matter of this final point, this harvest of the souls. So she runs off. 
to tell all the other people, hey, there's a guy who knows everything about me, and you need to meet him. Would you want other people to meet somebody who knew everything about you? <laughs> yeah, right, Rodney? You're thinking the same thing as me, right? Hey, can I tell you everything that Rodney did growing up? Well, no, let's, let's go talk to somebody else. And so, I mean, the, the reality, we wouldn't want to be thinking that, but she is. You've got to meet this guy. But the disciples come back. They just went to McDonald's. Or maybe it was Arby's. Was it Arby's? <laughs> Anyways, poor Anna. She doesn't like Arby's. I didn't know that. I thought she liked Arby's. And so this whole trip to Pennsylvania, I kept stopping at Arby's for her. <laughs> and then I find after the trip from Pennsylvania, she didn't like Arby's. Anyways, oh well. Anyways, but these guys just came back from McDonald's, Arby's, wherever they could find there in Sikar, right? And um, so they come back, and they're figuring that Jesus must be what? Hungry. Yeah, he's got to be hungry. He's going to be, he says, guys, I got food to eat that you don't know of. And instantly, these are the same disciples. John's writing about it, but he's writing the same way as Matthew, Mark, and Luke did. Okay? These are the same disciples who are constantly physically focused and not spiritually focused. Right? They don't think of the fact that he's thinking of, he's been talking to this woman, and that's really fulfilling for him to be able to share Christ. You know, They're like, whoa, did somebody else bring him some kind of food? You know? But I don't know what you, how you feel about that, but there is nothing, and I can honestly say this, there is nothing that is more exciting for me than to be able to talk about Jesus and to talk about God's word. I would gladly forego eating meals if I could share Christ with somebody. And that's what Jesus is saying. My meat is to do the will of the Father, to do the Father's will. I'm full. Guys, no matter what you give me right now, it should be gluttony because, man, the Father has just filled me up. I am stuffed right now. This is so exciting. I mean, a happenstance moment, and she's going to tell everybody else and to bring them out. And you guys are worried about the, the, whether you got a Big Mac or a Quarter Pounder. Forget about your French fries. The fields are wide in the harvest. I came to finish the work of the Father, the will of the Father. And we talked about that from first two. The fields are white. He said, look out there. There is food out there that you just can't miss. The problem is, as he said in Matthew, or as we read in Matthew, it's just lacking what? Laborers. It's just like the fields are white in the harvest. Do you believe that? Or do you think Jesus was lying? Do you think that was only cultural? Or do you think that there are actually souls out there who are ready to be saved and they just don't know it? Do you think that woman came to the well that day thinking, you know what, I wonder if today is the day I'm going to meet the Messiah and I'm going to find eternal life and there's going to be waters of, spirit, waters of, eternal, of everlasting life, going to be fountains of it just kind of flowing through me. And you know, by the end of the day, I'm going to be an evangelist. I don't think she thought that. I think she got up, was doing her good old routine thing. She'd been abused. Think about it. She had five husbands. And the guy that she was right at that moment, he wasn't her husband. She's going to the well in the middle of the day. Yeah. I mean, just, just, I, I, mean I don't want to extrapolate too much into her life. But still, yeah, I mean, she, she's lived a hard life. She's not the, you know, the, the churchgoer. 
Make sense? Not many of us are really fitting that bill either, but you get what I'm saying, right? And there she is. By the end of the day, though, she's D.L. Moody. How cool is that? She's going to evangelize the whole village because she met the Savior and she bought what he was selling. And I don't mean that rude. You get what I'm saying? She bought, she bought in to what he was telling her. Sometimes we listen to Jesus. He goes in one and out the other. And we don't buy in. Jesus looks up and he sees the city coming. And his disciples, they can't still figure it out. He says, look, guys, look. Open your eyes up. Quit thinking physically. Quit thinking from your flesh. The fields, they're white into harvest. You think there's still four months to go till you can harvest them. What's he saying? Harvest them now. Yeah, the, the physically... Don't get me confused, because the fields aren't what? They're not ready. But I'm telling you, forget thinking about your grain. Forget thinking about the bread. Look at the souls, because they are ripe unto harvest right now. But you know, it's, it's a weird thing. Do you ever ride down the road? I, I love riding down country roads and trying to figure out what things are. I mean, if it's if it's in season, then you can kind of tell. A cotton field is clearly a cotton field, you know. But as things are starting to grow, you're trying to figure out, is that going to be cotton? Is that going to be soy? What, you know, they got peanuts growing. What do they got growing? You know, that kind of stuff. But as it's there, you kind of see it, right? But have you ever seen a field pick itself? Have you ever seen a field pick itself? doesn't happen that way, does it? It's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Somebody actually got to go in and pick the corn. Somebody's got to go in and, and get the tomatoes. Now, a peach is going to fall off the tree, and it's going to what? It's going to rot. It's not what it was designed to do, was it? But somebody's got to go into the field. Somebody's got to go into the field and to be able to pick. And that leads us then to the last point, and that is the wages of the laborers. Jesus said, look, I'm sending you into fields to labor, to reap, where you didn't work. If you just look, right now, all these guys are coming out, and they want to know about salvation. And you didn't do anything to pick the fruit. How cool is that? Did you ever see somebody get saved, and you did nothing? I mean, for real, I've seen it. I mean, I just happen to be the guy who got to be able to pick the fruit. But I've been in there a whole lot of time digging, digging the, and, and, and fertilizing and watering and, and everything else and never seeing the what? The fruit. But I've been there sometimes where the fruit fell into my hand. <laughs> Whoa, I think they were ready. Does it make sense? But what I know is that somebody else has been what? Laboring in that field. And sadly, they didn't get to do it. So... I'm not picking on you, Michaela, but, but when you, yeah, I am. No, I'm not. I'm not. It was one of the most blessed times in my life a couple years ago when you got baptized. And then Emma got baptized, right? And Bradley got baptized. And we took a video of it. And I put it on Facebook, didn't I? Because who did I want to see it? Pastor Woody and? 
the Benzings. Because the Benzings and the prophets were the ones who labored in your field. I just had the privilege of baptizing you. Do you get it? That wasn't for me. I wanted them to know. Because Woody's in New York and, and Ron's in, in the mountains of North Carolina. They'd never know. But we got the opportunity in, in this culture for them to be able to know their labors over multiple years. Multiple years. That's okay. She admits it. Multiple years was there. God allowed me to be able to be in that field when you were baptized. I had, there was nothing special about me. How cold is that? And so we read that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice what? Together. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. I don't have time to go through all this, but you can see the colors here, okay? Paul is talking about an illustration between him and Apollos. And he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the what? Increase. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God is the one who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are what? They're one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers if you are God's field. And then he says down here that in the end then, whatever you are working toward is going to be shown in the last day. That when the fire, or actually it can be actually here because tr when trouble happens, but it's going to be tested as by fire, okay? And if whatever you're working on endures, if that which he has built upon it endures, he will receive a reward. Okay, you are redeeming the time, quote-unquote, and I'm saying that in a wrongful way, in some manner. Let me put it this way. You are spending your time. How's that? Time is a use it, lose it. Or use it or lose it. Because you can't what? You can't save it. You're never going to, never hold it back. You can't put it in a savings account. You can't say, I'll use that time later. You've already wasted Hopefully not hasn't been wasted. An hour and a half. Here, hopefully worshiping God and learning from his truth. Do you understand? You're not going to get that hour and a half back. You could have spent it at the lake. Or you could have spent it someplace else. One day you're going to die. And again, I want to go all the way back. Whatever your greatest passion is, whatever your greatest desire is, is where you're going to spend your time. So when you die and you stand before the throne, and the fire reveals it, is your life wood, hay, and stubble? Or is it silver, gold, and precious stones? Are you investing in the lives of others? Or are you investing in yourself? A couple years ago, I shared a message on living a fulfilled Christian life. And this is just my own little ditty that God gave to me. But if you want to have a truly fulfilling life in Christ, it's the redemption of that which cannot be saved to invest in the redemption of that which can be saved by laying all that you are on the altar that he may alter all that you are. Anything else you want to invest in in this world is going to be gone. Where are you seeking to redeem? So, who is Jesus to you? Is he really God? 
What do you believe is hidden in your life? This Samaritan woman, she had things hidden. But she was willing to be truthful. Are you willing for there to be truth in your life with Christ? She was. And it worked up into her fountains of everlasting life. And you know what's exciting? Because we didn't really talk about all these guys that came out. We could have talked about all these guys that came out. Did some of them really know her otherwise? You know? But here they came out, and they learned about who? About Jesus. Amazing evangelist. How would God describe your worship? Are you more spirit or flesh-based? Are you more opinion or truth-based? Okay? God desires to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. How concerned are you that those around you hear the message of salvation? Finally, then, is there a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. God, I pray that we would honestly, truly desire to drink of your well, of life. You have said that this is life eternal, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Lord, I pray that you would help us not to want to just play church, but, Father, that we would have a passion to know you deeper and deeper every day, that we would grow in your grace and in your knowledge. Lord, that as we would drink from the well of your water, of your life-giving truth, Lord, that it would be like a fountain that is then within us, and then we would then be spewing forth this life and this truth from our lives that others might hear of your love for them. Lord, I pray that we would see and understand the true joy that is there when we are drinking purely from your fountains and not the fountains of man. That you would receive the glory in our life. In Christ's name, amen. Justin.